Please note, if you're listening to this, you must be 18 years of age or older. This podcast contains adult themes and may include descriptions that listeners could find offensive. Thank you. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Carl Jung. I'm M. I'm G. And this is episode 39. Wait, how do you do this intro? <laughs> I'm M. I'm G. And on this episode of the Kinky Nerdy Poly Podcast, I got it that time, we're going to be talking about spiritual and existential kink. Yeah, just another another trademark on-brand light and breezy episode of the KMP Podcast. Right, exactly. I think, you know, this is going to be a fun episode, at least for me. I don't feel like this is a very, like, oh, deep and scary episode. It can be, though, (laughs) if you want it to be. If you want it to be? Ooh, Mm. if you want... Okay. So, let's set the stage here. Okay. Aji. So, first let's talk about, like, what is spiritual or sacred kink? This is the heart of the topic. Yes. One of them. Yes. There are two hearts. Yes. In this... Kinky beast. Yeah. There are two wolves inside of you. Or two hearts, like the Doctor from Doctor Who. Oh, see, I've not watched Doctor Who, but I want to get into it. Yeah. So, G, what comes to mind when you think of spiritual or sacred kink? So, this may not be particularly flattering, but I don't have a whole lot of experience with sacred and spiritual kink. And when you ask that question to me, and this is me being really honest, the first thing that came to mind is like, that's a lot of woo-woo stuff. Yeah, no, I, I'm i not offended by that, and I understand the... That sounds like a lot of, a lot of woo-woo stuff, yeah, because it does. Yeah. And that's coming from, you know, someone who enjoys a lot of that. So spiritual or sacred kink for me is... And it, it, this has no no good dictionary definition to it. Yeah. So I'm just going to speak from my own experience here. For me, there's an aspect of accessing something that is not necessarily outside or bigger than ourselves when you think of like spiritual connecting to the universe or connecting to a deity or anything like that it can be also an internal experience of grounding centering any of these aspects of spirituality which helps to deepen our connection to our connection to and our understanding of both ourself and the quote-unquote other power whatever that is There is a lot of overlap of this spiritual sacred kink with this idea of existential kink. Yeah. Existential kink, just to frame it quickly before we get into it later more deeply, is a a sort of day-to-day, how does kink actually play out in our day-to-day, quote-unquote, vanilla lives? Yeah. So we'll get into that more later. G, you brought up this point about religious play in particular. Yeah, so one thing that I brought up, because I didn't know if M wanted to dive deep into it in this episode or not, is there are a lot of scenes that I've seen and a lot of people who uh, use religious symbology or symbolism in their play, you know, partially because there's a taboo factor of, like, mixing these things, and and sometimes it's also people 
dealing with religious trauma that they have suffered through kink. And while there is some overlap between the sort of spiritual, sacred kink and sort of religious play, we're not going to be focusing on the religious play, or we're going to be focusing on the spiritual and sacred kink. Definitely, yeah. So if we do want to go into actually religious play and centering religious trauma, those would be kind of outside of this episode. However, we might still mention things that could potentially bring up religious trauma in Mm -hmm. listeners. So just be cautious of that. Yeah. So yeah, spiritual and secret kink and existential kink, these aren't mutually exclusive ideas. There's a lot of overlap. And what I've noticed is that the people who find find satisfaction in spiritual kink or existential kink, they similarly draw parallels to Buddhism and Hinduism, but also lots of other religions that can easily have kinky undertones, which we'll go into later. I'm going to leave this next little bit to later that I put for my personal experiences when we get into more of the spiritual stuff. And I wanted to briefly bring up this idea that when I brought this topic up to you, G, the first thing that you think of is like philosophical kink. Yes. So I I somewhat jokingly, and I'm just going to quote these two phrases because I couldn't come up with anything better after I said them to you in our in our chat. It, w- when you said existential kink, my mind went directly to philosophy. And like the two quotes I came up with were, I feel pain, therefore I am. <laughs> and can one can one know the true pleasure of a caress without knowing the sting of a slap? Which, you know, I said those somewhat jokingly, but there is some element of truth to both of them. Uh, I'm not going to dive deep into the I think therefore I am thing. But, you know, part of the way that we know that we exist is through our experiences. Part of the way that we know how how good something is, is because of how bad things have been before. And and this applies to all sorts of things. Like, I've had some bad times in my life. Uh, it helps me appreciate the good times I've had in my life. I've had bad partners. It makes me really appreciate the good partners. These contrasts, and if, if you want to do something a little bit silly, like this also applies to things like food. <laughs> like, you eat something really disgusting. I mean, not even that. Or, like, okay. if you eat pizza all the time, then just everything is pizza. But if you like, have some contrast, you know, if you have some, you know, some risotto or some pad thai, you know, anything else that's not pizza, it lets you highlight the differences between like the pizza and the other food. Spicing things up and, you know, we can go even deeper into the food metaphor of like the reason why pretzels taste good is because they've got salt crystals and they're not evenly salted. So you get bursts of salt rather than it just being evenly salted. I don't know why I'm concentrating so much on this You are food really metaphor, going over the food metaphor. But... Well, something that I thought of when you're talking about the food metaphor, I think we brought this up in our Kushil's Dart episode, is that the um, people who train in the night court, I think it was, they are trained from a young age to taste spicy things. Yeah. And to derive, like, a lot of people enjoy spicy things, even though they're they're spicy, they hurt, but it gives them that pleasure, satisfaction, and like, oh, this is really tasty. I yeah. want more of it. And... Another thing I want to note is there's also a thing which, in my mind, there's a distinction between this philosophical kink where we're talking about how philosophy interacts with kink and kink philosophy, which is how different people approach kink. Like Uh, whether it's a a very limited like time-space situation or whether it's a lifestyle situation and things like that. Yeah, things like that. Also like, 
you know, what safety philosophy you follow, whether you are safe, sane, consensual, or rack, rack, uh, which is risk aware, consensual kink. Yeah. Yeah. There's all all different sort of things of how you can approach kink. And one of the last things I want to talk about in sort of this philosophy section. (laughs) Yes, our little philosophy education section. Is uh, hedonism, both in what I think the everyday sense of the word, which is, you know, just sort of short-term pleasure, and the more philosophical sense of the word, which is like, what is the... In, in philosophy, when you talk about hedonism, you're talking about like, what, how is pleasure what motivates people? Like, and is it like the ultimate good? Should we live lives where we're trying to maximize the amount of pleasure in our lives? Because if that's the case, a drug fueled being a drug fuel orgy that lasts, you know, three days is short term pleasurable, but in the long term, really, really negatively affects your life sometimes. So, you know, if you're trying to maximize the amount of pleasure in your life, you know, you need to take things in moderation. And Yeah, that's a great, I love that explanation. Thank you. I learned a thing. Oh, did you not know that? Well, because I'm so used to people using it in the colloquial sense of that short-term pleasure Yeah. that I didn't realize that, yes, of course you have to keep in mind, like if you're talking from a philosophical standpoint, to maximize the pleasure. Yeah. Uh, that you have to actually take a longer-term approach. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing sharing that, G. So, yeah, I think that's, I think hedonism in both sense of the word applies to kink. Like, you know, people do do things for short-term pleasure, but also we want to be applying those safety philosophies we're talking about, safe, scene, and consensual, and, and risk-aware, risk aware. consensual kink. Like, we want to be able to do these kinks for a long time, so we don't want to, like, hurt ourselves or cause long-term damage. And just a note for our listeners that there's a lot of debate around these different um, safety things. So we had mentioned safe scene and consensual and risk aware consensual kink as two of them. And there's pros and cons to these different approaches. So we will not go into the nuances about why one should or should not use these safety practices in your kink. Yes. But yes, I mean, I think it's it's a good idea to recognize that we could engage in something that's really, really risky in kink to get that short-term pleasure. But if we want to keep enjoying that thing, we also have to recognize the bounds and limitations that our safety requires to be able to keep engaging in that. Yeah. So that's great. Thank you. And, and to go on to transition from that sort of philosophical space to a more spiritual or sacred space, I wanted to bring up two books by Lee Harrington that are on sacred kink. And so, you know, Lee Harrington is someone who is in the kink scene who is known for talking about this topic. One of them is called The Eightfold Paths of Kink. I think that's what it's called. And then Spirit of Desire is the other one. The Eightfold Paths of Kink is one that talks about more from the spiritual theory aspect and sort of tying it into, like, here's how it could play out in your life. Yeah. Again, you can see the draw, like when I said people draw on Hinduism and Buddhism, this Eightfold Path idea come, kind of comes from the, uh, the Buddhist kind of tradition. In that, in the Eightfold Paths of Kink, they talk about, well, simply what different paths of kink that you might be drawn to, whether it's they talk about like Path of Rhythm and other ones. I'm going to mention them in full just shortly. They also go talk about Altered States of Consciousness, which is another big topic in that particular book. And they mention that some people, they engage in sacred or spiritual kink to achieve those altered state of consciousnesses. Mm -hmm. Two of those different states of consciousness that one might 
which can feel to me very similar to a spiritual state of consciousness, altered state of consciousness, is uh, top space and subspace. Yeah. A lot of people might have heard of subspace, which, gee, you, you want to give the explanation? Uh, sure. So subspace refers to an altered state of mind, uh, usually while in the midst of play, but sometimes it comes in, comes in after the play has happened. Where because of whatever activity you're doing is releasing a lot of endorphins in your mind and a lot of other happy brain chemicals, essentially, it basically lets you sort of zone out and sometimes lets you take more of the activity than you could normally do if you're not in that sort of subspace. And generally speaking, after seeing it takes a little bit of aftercare and time for the person to, for those, essentially those happy brain chemicals to stop racing through your brain and for you to sort of return to a more regular state of mind. Yeah, thank you for, that's a good explanation. And I was just checking for this book again, and it's Sacred Kink, The Eightfold Paths of BDSM and Beyond. I was, I'm just, I'm second guessing this title every time I read it. So that's what it's actually called. And these are the different paths. So, oh, sorry. Going back, you mentioned subspace and yeah. what it is. And top space is not as well talked about, I think. I don't think it's as well recognized. Uh, like, I definitely think there are some people who don't think it exists. I tend to think, at least in my experience, and it could be different from your experience, M. Like, I kind of think of uh, top space as being like the zone. You know how you like... Get into a flow. You get into a flow and like... You just know what's going to happen next without, like, thinking about it is kind of how I think of top space. Is that your experience or do you have a different experience? Yeah, I think that's very similar. And it reminds me of that that flow state that they talk about in psychology mm -hmm. where it's like that maximizing of that it's challenging and engaging, but it also is, like, very rewarding in the moment. And so you get into this almost like a meditative zone. And I think when I'm topping, it's... I definitely can get into that, that almost like meditative or like not trance-like state, but you're so focused and engaged in the activity and you yeah. kind of lose the sense of the external world. Yeah, you're in the zone. You're in the zone. I had mentioned that some of these concepts come from Hinduism and Buddhism when a lot of people talk about it. And for listeners who don't know, I talk about it occasionally, but I am a Buddhist actually. I'm going to quote from this Eightfold Path book a little bit about Hinduism. And, and other So this is from the book. It says, In Hinduism, the experiences of the sacred are often broken down into the triadic approach. So, for example, they take the three sort of major uh, gods. So it says, We gaze into the eyes of Brahma and see creation manifest. We thank Vishnu in all his magnificence for maintaining the structures of our world. And we praise Shiva, fearful lord of the Ganges, for being the power of destruction in the world that in turn allows creation to come anew. And this triad, this idea of these three different aspects, is not only found in Hinduism, but also Christianity when we think of the Christian tradition of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. So this idea of threes might come into play in spiritual kink. And then this also go elaborates a little bit more about the number four. And so it says, some people prefer exploring our sexuality in the number four, such as earth, air, fire, and water as being those base elementals. And they also bring up the four S's of, if you will, submission to consider or power exchange, submission, sed seduction, service, and surrender as being sort of these four guidelines. The book goes into a lot of 
other religions and traditions, including Wicca and, and again, Buddhism as well. And for example, framing the Eightfold Path, it says the noble Eightfold Path of Buddhism describes the way to the end of suffering as it was laid out by Siddhartha Gautama, more commonly known as the historical Buddha, and talks about the nervous system and how specific chemicals can affect our ability to access the, those circuits and that Buddhism can often be used for this, and then equates this to the, the journey of kink for some people. So the past that they have in this um, book, I'm not going to go into detail as to each of the paths, but I'll just highlight them by name, and we can kind of talk about them. So the first path that they mention in this book is the path of rhythm, which they say is use of repetitive body motion, touch, noise, or vis visual cues. So is there a G, like, do you ever experience this path of rhythm and kink? Not so much, I think, for myself. Like, th that sounds a lot like flogging. Yeah. And I'm not really, and I'm not really into that because of how repetitive it is. I might not be the best person to ask about this stuff. That's okay. Yeah, you're a little bit out of your element, I guess, in some of them. But that's okay. I think, like, there's still aspects of different types of play that you might be like, oh, okay, I can see that sort of path, if you will. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not spiritual for you. So this one with Path of Rhythm, obviously you mentioned flogging mm -hmm. being one. Another one that I think about is uh, hypnosis. Oftentimes there is a repetitive, like, visual if you think about the the stopwatch or not stopwatch what is that called the 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 watch thing the pocket watch pocket watch not the stopwatch the pocket watch is one thing like back and forth kind of motion another thing could be the the voice of the hypnotist repeating some phrases or again it could be a repeated touch that kind of leads you into a very relaxed state so that yeah well now that you phrase it like that i guess one thing that I do that is fairly repetitive is knife play. Uh, it's not the same place, but often you're doing the same motion repeatedly. Mm -hmm. Though I also tend to mix that up fairly frequently. Yeah, vary it a little bit. That makes sense. Yeah, so that's, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that rhythm can come into it. The next path is called the ordeal path, and that is the use of purposeful and intentional pain, suffering, challenges, endurance, or pushing an individual past or through with their perceived limits. Does anything come to mind in this one for you? Yeah, I mean, I there are different kinds of masochists. There are some that just actually enjoy the pain, which I'm not one of those. What I find is the pleasure I get from masochism or somebody inflicting pain on me is me overcoming the pain. That's what I get from it. Like so, it's a challenge to yourself. Like, can yeah. I endure this? Can I overcome this? Yeah. Yeah, this path in particular is very, it calls to me very deeply because I, I really take enduring suffering as very intentional. I also enjoy both being pushed out of my perceived limits and also helping others to be pushed past those limits, whether or not that pain is physical or emotional pain. And then the next one I think you would definitely vibe with. This one, G, is the path of the flesh. It is the use of input from sensual, sexual, or ecstatic body experience. Now, can you guess why I I find that you're particularly... Uh... Why would you call me out like this? <laughs> yeah, I can I can see why you might think that. Yeah, I can I can see why you might think that. <laughs> is that is that all you have to say about that one? Yep, 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 yep. yep. Okay, all right. Well, we're not going to talk about your... My, my biting or being bitten. 
Oh, that's definitely one of them. <laughs> one of them. All right, let's let, let's let's get into it. This is this is our podcast. Well, I was just all. thinking about your your real passion for making out. Oh, well, biting's kind of part of that, right? Wait, is it not? Well, I wait, but when we made out, you would not bite me that much. Wait, but if there was more biting, I'd be more into it. You would? Yeah. Oh. I don't want that vanilla makeout stuff anyways. And audience folks, this is why communication is important. <laughs> yes, communicate about the communication. There's an episode on that. And if we were professional podcaster Pie Pipers, we would have that episode number up. Yeah. Okay, so that is the path of the flesh. Okay. Which, as I now understand, is biting for you. Well, it's all, it's not... It's a singular experience. Yeah, it's... Wrapped up. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of things. It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. And yeah, it's a lot. And I think, <laughs> I think you and X might have that path in common because I think you're definitely drawn more towards those tactile, sensual experiences. And for me, like this, I would say this is not like my go-to path. The next path on the list is the path of ritual, which is the use and repetition of visual, auditory, olfactory, or kinesthetic cues, rites, and activities. So this is specifically, when I think of this, I think of like creating a ritualistic space for your kink. And that might be setting the mood with some sort of like incense or smell candles. Music. Music, exactly. Or it could be a more physical like collar situation or something like that, that is kind of has this feeling of repeated feeling that you know, like, oh, when I have that collar on, I get into this certain space. And it could also be auditory as well. So for example, the uh, certain, a certain commanding tone or a certain ritualistic tone or, or phrase that might again invoke a certain like, might alter your consciousness to create a, a subspace or a top space. My understanding from your, and I could be wrong, from your kind of kink G is that that's not, this sort of path doesn't call to you as much. No. The next one is the path of breath, which is the use of breathing techniques, voluntary and involuntary airflow. I really like this one. I like this because I think of breath play. Yeah. But also for me, like breath play, it's like, first of all, breath play is very erotic for me. Stopping and starting someone's breathing, that's a huge power control. But it also, first of all, it releases lots of good endorphins too, doing that. But just the idea of like, even if you're not physically starting and stopping someone's breath, just telling someone like, inhale, exhale, just even having like that subtle control over breathing, you are helping to control their nervous system, essentially. And then also what I found is that breathing can change during activities, even if somebody is not like explicitly controlling it like the rate of someone's breathing will change throughout the course of a scene. Yeah. So that is the path of breath. Are you into breath play? I'm interested in it, but I've never, like, I've taken a class on how to do, like, the chokehold, but I haven't practiced with anyone. <laughs> and it's kind of a hard thing to ask. It's like, hey, I've taken this one class. Yes. And also a chokehold, I think, is more of a, that's more of a sensory experience compared to a breath based work mm -hmm. because you're with a chokehold you're kind of impairing their technically you're impairing blood flow you're impairing breath. blood flow and not breath yeah but yeah path of breath might not be just breath play it could also just be the 
using breath as part of your kink, either like to regulate your nervous system or to achieve a certain altered state of consciousness. Yeah. The other thing that sort of springs to mind is my interest in underwater bondage. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, I'd be happy to be your merfolk vampire for that. Okay. Okay. We just need to get a pool or a hot tub. Yeah, that's all we need, right? So the next one is Path of the Horse, which I will admit, I don't understand this one as much, but it's use of invocation, evocation, shape-shifting, and horsing. The number one thing that comes to mind when I think about this is pet play or getting into a space of an animal. Is there anything else that comes to mind with this? I mean, I feel like it touches on primal play. Oh, primal play, yes. Not fully, but I feel like it definitely overlaps with primal play. But yeah, all sorts of pet play, dog, kitten, horse play. There is the path of asceticism is the seventh one, which is use of minimization, purification, restriction, cleansing, and stillness, which for me, again, this is my interpretation of these paths, not necessarily everything the authors talk about. But for me, this brings to mind like celibacy or what is controlling someone's orgasm. Again, not orgasm control, but when you... Chastity. Okay. Chastity. Chastity, celibacy, those sorts of things. Abstaining from sex is all like kind of restricting. Mm-hmm. Cleansing rituals can also be a thing. Like for me, I know showering is something that feels like very purifying. So like I enjoy doing that before I do intense activities, like before doing kink or sex things. Doesn't anything else come to mind with the minimization, purification, restriction, cleansing, and stillness? I mean, obviously bondage can be restricting. Honestly, the first thing that leapt to mind is not really my thing, but latex. Okay. Like, especially if you're doing like a full body suit, that's like kind of a minimization of a person. It's like an abstract entity. Yeah, or shape. Yeah. That's kind of what I went when you were describing it. So I don't know if that's how other people think of it, but. Yeah, again, these are just the first things that are coming to our minds here. Yeah. And also there's a like sort of cleanliness thing, like you got to clean the latex because. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't go well mm-hmm. <laughs> if you don't clean it. Yeah, and I really like the path of asceticism kind of brings to mind, like, it could be, like, minimizing yourself, like, putting yourself in a state of, like, humbleness as well. Could invoke that sort of thing. The last one is probably the most controversial path, because this is the path of sacred plants, which is the use of specific plants, herbs, strong drink, chemicals, and other external imp- Which, if there's, like, a lot of sayings in the kink scene, like, don't drink when you kink. A lot of things about, like, not getting high and doing kink. But this is also something that people do, right? It is something that people do. And, you know, I've... I don't know. There's just a lot of, like, safety asterisks I would put next to it. Like, I have done... I've done both... I've done sex high and I've done kinky stuff high. But, like, one of the times I can think of when I was doing kinky stuff high was... I went over to somebody's place and... We were supposed to do a knife play scene, and we did some, we smoked some weed, and I hadn't smoked weed in a while, and it hit me much harder than I thought it was going to. And I was like, look, I I do not trust myself with regular knives right now to do a knife play scene. But I've got these nice shrimp deveiners, which are can give the sensation of knives without... Risk me, of cutting. Risk of me cutting you. So, you know, I think... I understand the desire, but you have to you have to put a lot of safety asterisks. Absolutely. And I think with all of these paths, these are all like the book does a very good job of framing like you must do these with the utmost care. 
And I think when they say, like, Path of Sacred Plants is very much, again, using them intentionally, not like, oh, let's drink and do kink, which is also fine. Like, if you're negotiating that and that's part of your your experience, then okay. But this is more like we're going to be very intentional about, like, sharing in this chemical experience and then uh, doing this sort of scene to evoke this altered state of consciousness. So I think also the intention here kind of matters with any of these paths because... Because, like, for me, like, you're not into the woo-woo spiritual stuff. So a lot of these paths are like, oh, well, that's just how I do the kink. But the intention here is that you are going into it with this some kind of, like, openness to a spiritual... Mindset. Mindset. Yeah, exactly. So those are the general, the eight paths, and I'm not going to go any more deeper into them here. And I have a couple other quotes, and I think did all of that. There's, honestly, there's just a lot in this book that is uh, pretty great. The Sacred Kink, The Eightfold Pass of BDSM and Beyond, that if you want to read more, I, I definitely encourage it. The other book by Lee Harrington is Spirit of Desire, Personal Explorations of Sacred Kink, which I think is even better because these are personal stories. There are 33 different stories from actual kinksters who come from a variety of religious and spiritual different traditions and how they use kink to connect them to them, to, to those. And I really love it. I really liked reading people's stories. And I thought that there was a good definition of negotiation in this one, but it could have, yeah, I think it was in the, I think it was in the Eiffel Path, but I liked that in, in one of these books, they say, Lee Harrington phrases negotiation, because I think a lot of people think of kink negotiation, they might think it's kind of stifles the spiritualness because it sounds very like business-like and very like, put your emotions to the side, we're going to negotiate but the way that Lee Harrington says it is you can view it as creating a shared reality. Yeah. I love that phrasing. I mean, I also feel like you can make it very ritualistic if you wanted to. You want to elaborate on that? Oh. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm aware of cultures where, like, there is a strong tradition of negotiation and haggling. You could make it very ritualistic of, like, we meet at this place. We discuss the terms over tea or... Or if you're going the the sacred plants route. Yeah. You know, we begin the negotiation like this, we end the negotiation like this, stuff like that. Absolutely. That's a great, that's a great idea. I'm going to steal that. Okay. I think. All right. Go for it. Yeah. So I just went into a lot about that <laughs> one book, but... It was really good. So Spirit of Desire, as I mentioned, is more of the collection of personal stories. And to go back, I would just mention, we talked a little bit about Buddhism. And one of the things mentioned in the Sacred Kink Eightfold Path book is on people who actually do feel a strong submission, quote unquote, to God or the universe or a deity or other or gods, plural, goddesses. And for me, sometimes I do personally feel like called to quote unquote submit to my Buddhist practice because it's like I consider it a form of discipline. And also, again, using this word in a different way from the traditional Western idea of worship. And I like particularly pushing myself to engage in the practice, especially when I don't want to. The idea of like, I really want to be doing something else, but I'm going to make time and discipline myself into doing this. And one other experience I had with drawing in my spiritual faith into kink was down at the primal section of kinky camp, they do a huge bonfire. Have you ever been to that? I don't 
Yes, I have. Okay. It's a really big fire and people mm-hmm. dance around it and then kind of things settle down afterwards after a little bit of dancing and play and whatever's going on. And I found myself um, drawn to the fire after, and this was like really early in the morning and, you know, like 1am or something. And I, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Anyways, so I went down and I got very close to the fire. I'm talking like a couple inches away from, and I decided to recite my Buddhist prayers in front of the fire. And they take about five minutes and I'm very, very close to this fire. And I was really like, again, in that flow, like very altered state of consciousness doing this kind of like, again, I'm using worship like loosely here because I'm not worshiping a god. And someone actually did come and check in on me, which was excellent. You know, they had someone tending to the fire, someone who is like trained in treating fires and and stuff like that. And they came over and just checked in and said, hey, are you are you doing okay? You know, you're really close to the fire and we want to make sure that you're uh, not going to have any like adverse effects from it. And I just said, yeah, I'm just finishing up these prayers. They were very respectful to that and let me do that. But it was a very intensely spiritual moment for me to be able to do that. So those are some personal experiences. So yeah. one thing I would like to mention, because it sounds like we're about to move on to the existential kink. Not yet. I mean, oh. I have a couple of other things I was going to mention. Okay, go ahead. But honestly, this is just like, there's so much material that we can talk about. Maybe not all of it is going to go into the final product. Mm. But I think the big thing I wanted to mention is that these books are available on Amazon. If- yes, or they are also on Scribd, if you have Scribd. So relating to spiritual and sacred kink, mm-hmm. power exchange for me has always felt very spiritual. I really like the surrender and, again, the worship that might go along with it. And they honestly seem to have a lot of similarities with Catholicism. I have honestly always wondered if Christians are just actually, like, super kinky motherfuckers who just, like, because they really get off on uh, worshiping, you know, God, Jesus, in some cases. I guess that would be Christians. Yes, Jesus. (laughs) Debatable, though. Some of them, I don't know. You know, so... I'm like, are they really just all like, they're just so kinky. They're really into this, this, this thing. And by the way, this is not to shame or criticize Christians at all. I think whatever your belief is, then that's awesome. And it doesn't have to be kinky for you. But oftentimes Christianity has seemed kinky to me. Yeah, there, there are definitely some aspects of like submission, you know, submit to God, stuff like that. The Bible is a fairly kinky text overall, though most people don't realize that unless they like actually read it. There's a lot of there's a lot of sex that happens in the Bible. A lot of murder too. <laughs> a lot of murder, yeah, and that's something that is brought up in the existential kink book, actually. Uh, I'll read a little bit from that later. So yeah, I mean I definitely think and also there's various practices over the years, which I don't think are derived from any biblical text, but Sort of the idea of, I think you talk about this later in your show notes, like self-flagellation. Basically, yeah, I was coming up on that too, like cathartic kink activities when you think of like uh, flogging and whipping, self-flagellation. Those are all things that have been used in religious contexts. Yeah. And from a Buddhist perspective too, it's not just Christianity that has, I just thought of Christianity because I was raised Catholic, but there's also in Buddhism, some traditions required uh, monks to um, starve themselves, basically, Be, you know, go on the very severe fasting or to sit out in the sun for, you know, many, many hours or 
a kneel on rice for a certain period of time doing a meditation, you know, all of these sorts of things that are painful and difficult. That brings me to the idea of hook suspensions. Okay. Have you not heard of hook suspensions? Oh, I'm familiar. You're familiar. I'm just, I'm just wondering what the connection is. Oh, just that I think that they have been used, and correct me if I'm wrong, well, you might not know, but I think that they have a an indigenous, or at least for some communities, that there is an indigenous religious context. That is way outside my knowledge base. That's way outside your knowledge base. Okay. But I do know that some kinky people do engage in hook suspensions, which is where they literally hook these giant sharp hooks into the into your back and then suspend you from them. And I hear that that is a very spiritual experience. Okay. It's not something I personally want to do. Nope, 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 nope. Nope-topus. That's a little octopus that's like scurrying away and going nope. Oh, I love it. Uh, sorry, so... Go ahead. Uh, so, for any listeners, uh, you might hear me being a little squicked out, because I'm always a little squicked out by stuff that pierces the skin... Just generally, like, I'm a big... I, myself, am a proponent of outside should stay outside and inside should stay inside uh, when it comes to stuff in your body. So I am a little squicked out. It's not a hard limit for me to talk about it, but I, generally speaking, don't want to view such things. Yeah, that's understandable. And we will definitely include a little content warning mm-hmm. for these different topics, too. Yeah, well, I'll make a note of, of the timestamp when we finish editing it and... Yeah. So the last thing before we move on to existential kink is that we talked a little bit about primal play so far. And you had mentioned that's about like, if we take the psychological approach, that that's very much about connecting with your id. Yeah. So there's this psychological framework that sort of divides human consciousness between the ego, the superego and the id. Man, I'm trying to think back to just remember what all these things represent. Because the id's fairly simple. It's like all your base desires. Your ego is sort of like you're rooted in the material. Day-to-day. Yeah. And your superego is sort of like sort of like the platonic ideal of how you think Singh should be or how you think you should be. I will and read the definition. Right. It says, yeah, it's sort of, you're kind of making sense. Uh, with your, yeah. It says the part of a person's mind that acts as a self-critical conscience reflecting social standards learned from parents and teachers. Okay, so I was kind of on the right track. Yeah, it's the ethical component of the personality and provides moral standards. So this was something I think Freud came up with as sort of a theory of mind. And so primal play, like, you know, from my perspective, as an outsider who doesn't really participate, like primal play seems to be a lot of like sort of getting more in touch with your id and sort of there's a big sort of predator-prey aspect to it, and a lot of sort of, like, doing what feels good in the moment. Yeah, that's kind of my, sort of how I view Primal Play. Uh, do you have a different experience with it? No, that makes sense to me. I think it goes back to that idea, like, the kind of archetypes that we think of, like, about those animalistic desires. I think it can tie a little bit in with that hedonism that you were talking about Yeah, a little bit, but definitely sort of acting on those base instincts. Yeah, so that's sort of, there's so much to cover, so much. And in fact, we're not even done talking about it because even as we are transitioning into talking about existential kink, we will still be touching on spiritual components. And this is because I think for a lot of people, these two, existential and spiritual, go hand in hand. 
So this existential kink was inspired by, I got curious about this topic because I found a book okay. called Existential Kink by Carolyn Elliott, and she has a PhD, and she talks about this this idea of existential kink, or EK, she refers to it by. And just a fair warning, if you go to read this book, I just want to let you know up front that this book has a lot of life coachy self-help vibes. Think the secret. Okay. It's not as, I would say it's not as woo-woo, uh, well, I don't want to say woo-woo new agey, because like, this is also very woo-woo, but this recognizes, it calls itself out for being woo-woo. Okay. And I like that. It recognizes, this sounds bizarro. I like that. It also really goes out of its way to recognize that there are systems of oppression and actual, like, really intense traumatic experiences that happen to people that are not, like, able to be addressed by this method. Yeah. Which I think a lot of, like, life coachy self-help things often fail to recognize. So, pros and cons to reading this book. What I, I found it so intriguing because it talks about how kink can show up in our normal quote-unquote day-to-day, quote-unquote, vanilla lives. Yeah. So there was so that. many quotes. I did. I was like, quote-quote-unquote-unquote-quote-quote-unquote. But like in work, school, relationships, general life circumstances. Yeah. And she talks specifically about how our existence and our cycles, our patterns of existing, are inherently kinky. She continuously references... Carl Jung's, his sort of philosophy of like, you, you kind of always get what your subconscious wants. You might not know what your subconscious wants, but you're going in that direction. And so in order to understand like how you operate in the world, you have to uncover what is actually happening in your subconscious. So she does talk about, she frames a little bit of that spiritual kink. She says like, God is a fucking kinky motherfucker. Okay. <laughs> Because like you had mentioned, there's a lot of violence and war and sort of like all of these awful sufferings going on in the world throughout history. And if there is a God, like you might not believe in God and that's fine. Uh, and I don't necessarily believe in a God, but it's like, if there is such a God and all this stuff is going on, well, like, what is God doing? Like, is this God potentially getting off on people's suffering. Okay. I've never heard anybody state the problem of evil that way, but by the way, theologians, very creative naming with that. The other thing, so again, she, the author, Carolyn, she brings up a lot of different religious or spiritual or mythological stories. Yeah. And one of the stories she brings up is the story of Kor and Persephone, essentially the same thing, same person, but she has a different explanation for that myth. and. Let me go back to the quote that I highlighted on it. Okay. She goes into the whole modern kind of, or I'm sorry, she goes into the whole story of Kor and, and Persephone. So she says, the way I see it, one day the great Kor got bored with being the solitary, boundlessly powerful ruler of the underworld. She decided she wanted some drama to break up the eternal monotony of being complete unto herself, omniscient, and omnipotent. So the core split in two. She created a benevolent, sweet, conscious self and a vicious, unconscious divine twin, Pluto. She split in order to experience herself as a separate, innocent individual, i.e. the perpetual little girl picking flowers in a meadow, and then to subsequently have the super edgy, kinky experience of duality and sexuality and violence and all the terrifying thrills and chills that come with it. The core desired to experience a great story 
And in a great story, whether comedy or tragedy, there are always struggle and obstacles and opposition. And so that is her angle, her re-reading of the the story of Persephone. Okay. So first of all, that's kind of really out there. Yeah. It's totally out there, but I really like her her sort of rewriting of mm-hmm. that. So there's so many good quotes from this book. But I guess while I I'll just take a pause and ask G like what are your thoughts so far? Well, I mean, I'm always I'm always up for reinterpreting mythology. But, you know, I mean, I'm not surprised like I think one of the things I I chatted with you about, I don't I don't not look at the chat logs right now. When we were talking about this episode and you're talking about like existential kink, I was like, oh, you mean how we all have to submit to our bosses when we go to work? And I think I suspect one of the things that for outsiders who are not into kink that unsells them about kink is that sometimes makes explicit some of the things that they don't want to acknowledge, like the fact that there are some very inherent power differences, uh, differentials and dynamics in life. And it makes them uncomfortable to actually acknowledge that those power differences or power dynamics exist. But kink did not create power dynamics. It did not create... Absolutely not. You know, these are things that just exist. There are power differences between people in the world. And one power difference that a majority of people experience is having to show up when your boss tells you it's time to show up and doing whatever your boss tells you needs to be done for your job. Absolutely. (laughs) Which I think is a fairly common power difference, a power dynamic that people experience. Definitely, definitely. And the book does talk about how even those day-to-day life experiences are quote-unquote strokes that we can get off on. In that maybe we see, like the, the author constantly says, like, we are often seeing ourselves as passive participants in life where it's like oh well i'm just showing up to boss uh, to work because my boss said so this time or whatever and i'm doing what my boss tells me to and we see that as like oh we're just functioning in society but she turns it around she says what if we choose consciously at every moment to view it as an opportunity for pleasure can i get pleasure out of this circumstance even if it's the shitty feeling of having to get up and go to work And so this, again, is not a commentary on excusing capitalism, racism, sexism. It's none of that. She makes it very, very clear that, like, yes, we do need to, in fact, also combat those systems. But this is saying, like, we have these patterns in our lives, whether it's the shitty job we don't like, or it's the the bad relationships we keep getting into, or it's an internal struggle. Like, she talks about how she really devalued herself for a long time, and how she had to reframe that it's not about like I have to learn to necessarily push through and love myself and like you know how you're kind of told like a lot of psychologists would be like you know you have to love yourself or whatever yeah but it's like what if some kinky fucked up part of me gets off on feeling devalued what if some and she says just pretend she says it doesn't you don't have to force it just say what if some kinky fucked up part of me actually enjoys xyz and that that is taboo and that that is an unwanted part of ourselves that we're often told that we have to transform you know in the vein of loving ourselves or loving our job but what if it's like no some messed up part of me loves that i'm being forced to get up to work you know so she says like 
she realized that she doesn't just have a bedroom kink, she has an existential kink, and she actually has perverse desires for pain and bondage in her daily existence. So she kind of uses this as a framework for a type of meditation where you, she says, take your don't like situations in life, whatever it is that's, you know, uncomfortable for you, whether it's those power dynamics or some sort of suffering, or maybe it's that you and your partner keep getting into the same argument over and over again. And she's like, take those don't like situations and sit with them and try to notice the sensations in your body and then move towards, is there some kind of pleasure that I can get from this? And this does not mean necessarily a sexual pleasure. It could just be a mental or emotional pleasure that you get from it. So she gives a lot of different examples for this. But, you know, what is a don't like situation that you have in your life? If you have an EG. Let's see. I do not like commuting to work. All right. So according to EK, Existential Kink, yeah, this would have you attempt or even just pretend, fake it till you make it. Okay. Is there some perverse taboo pleasure I could get out of <laughs> commuting to work? You don't have to answer that. Okay. Thank goodness. No, it's, it's something that you work on. Okay. It's something that comes over time. One of the other things that she brings up, because you mentioned the power dynamics being one of them, like with your boss inherently, or in my case, like my advisor at school, they have a lot of power over you. And my therapist actually quoted, power is the ability to make things happen. And so that's why I also feel like there's a difference between power and authority, because I, I have the ability to make stuff happen. But there often is an authority figure that's sort of like gatekeeping. Or saying, like, yes or no on certain things, right? Your boss has to, like, check off on certain things. But there's other aspects of existential kink. And she goes into how she hates doing exercise. She hates exercising. Okay. And she says she really wants to build a stronger core because she wants to be able to better support her body. Like, she has a lot of back pain. And her doctors have said, like, oh, if you, if you focus on building a strong core, that'll help support your back. And so she said that she started doing core exercises. And she said she would hate them. Like, she would start getting into this these exercises, and she like, I fucking hate it. And she was able to transform that into, like, oh my gosh, some sick part of me gets off on doing these fucking core exercises. Like, they're so painful that I'm actually getting off on it. <laughs> and I think I feel very similarly about exercise. I, I love and hate exercise. Like, it hurts. I know I, it's a joke about some of my friends who go to the gym. Or like when I used to go to the gym and they'd be like, oh, you know, you're such a masochist for doing X, Y, Z. Or like, you'll hear that yeah. in exercise circles about like how you're a masochist. But it's kind of true. Do you feel like, do, have you ever experienced that with exercise? Because you do butt exercises now. Uh, I'm off and on on the butt exercises. I'm trying to get back on. I got some resistance bands. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I've always had a, a somewhat difficult relationship with exercise. I was, I was an ROTC for a while, and that wasn't a great part of my life. So, you know, it's it's hard for me to stay focused on that, which is why I'm sort of considering like trying to do activities which require exercise rather than just like exercising by itself. That makes sense. Yeah, I've heard a lot of stories about like, oh, you should do exercise that makes you feel like like it's fun. Yeah. So whether that's dancing or whether that's, for me, it's like doing ring fit is fun. Yeah. And, and other such activities where you can do the exercise without it being necessarily about the exercise. But also, 
there might be some kinky part of you that maybe wants to suffer through the exercise. At least there is for me. So these are a couple of examples, and I I want to... She has a lot of them. I want to just transition to something that we've been talking about throughout this whole thing. Well, actually, let me give uh, an example of... I had an example of my own life, something that I struggle with that I was able to realize that I might have some pleasure from. Okay. Which now I'm blanking on, so we're going to give this a good pause. Because there were two things I was thinking about earlier, and I can't believe I didn't write it down. I was going to mention something about my relationship with Zam, but then I was like, no, I have a better example. It's in here. It's in my head somewhere. Okay. Okay, I'll give a different example, maybe if the other one comes to me. So one of the things that the author mentions, but also that I really understand, is performance anxiety, like, and especially like public speaking anxiety. I've always had a really hard time speaking in front of crowds. I think I'm an excellent public speaker, actually. But the actual anxiety that I feel like before I get up there is very, very intense. Um, And it was so intense that when I was younger and I would be in musicals and plays, I would think to myself, I'm going to tell the director I can't do this, like right before I would get on stage, Um, which is ridiculous. Obviously, I'm not going to do that. But but it would be okay if I did. But what I realized is a part of me, because like humiliation kink is a big thing for me in kink. And then I'm like, wait, part of me loves the idea of messing up or being really embarrassed on stage and just having all of these faces look at me. That's actually something I experienced. And I realized like, oh, wait, I can enjoy that. I can enjoy that anxiety of like that. Oh, this is, you know, like your your heart races and your cheeks flush, that embarrassment. And all of those are very like visceral. So that is something that I've been able to see like, yeah, it gives me a lot of anxiety. It's something that I really struggle with. But at the same time, Maybe part of me enjoys the idea that I could be so embarrassed. And I had another one that I'm forgetting. Okay. So the last thing on this that she talks about is, I mean, she goes into a lot more, so this is definitely not all of the book, but she mentions creating a container, which I think is something that we've already talked about. But she says to create a spatial and a temporal container for doing this kind of work. She says, create a spatial container that has like, like certain bounds. So like, Even in the Bible, I think it's Jesus who says, like, when you pray, you should go in a room and close the door. How kinky is that already? We're going to make that real private, right? This is some very private situation going on in this room. I guess I don't think of being alone in a room is inherently kinky, but... Well, it's like you don't want to make a public spectacle of it. Yeah. It's like be private about it. But that also means, like, you are left up to your own devices. And, yeah, and it is meant to be a very intimate thing with yourself. So, sorry, I got off topic. But when I do my Buddhist stuff, like I often will light incense, which the incense sticks are timed at 20 minutes. And she says like, you can either do that or maybe set a timer or whatever it is. So you create a space, create some like time limitations, because she says like, so that way you won't, you don't think that you're going to get lost in some bizarro meditation. So she kind of calls out this whole process like, yeah, this is bizarre. This is going to feel weird. This is a very weird practice. And and keep yourself to like this time and space. So it's very intentional when you do this work. So creating a container for kink, for spiritual kink or existential kink can be very useful. Okay. So after hearing my example about public speaking, yeah, can you think of anything that evokes a sort of similar situation for you? Something that you hate love doing? 
So I think the thing here is I, I'm not super into humiliation play. No, I'm just saying in general, oh. anything that you okay. have a love-hate relationship with. Anything I have a love-hate relationship with. Let me see. I'm sorry, nothing's bringing to mind. That's okay. You also look really tired. You look like you're falling asleep a little bit. No. Oh, okay. You gave me that look of like, oh, I'm tired. Is that a look that I have? Oh, I remember the other example I was going to give. Okay, excellent. <laughs> yes, that's a look you give. Often seen in the mornings. Oh, well, okay. So, my other example, besides like the uh, performance anxiety kinky thing, is that the author talks about, and it, this is an existential thing for sure, is like the expectations that society puts on us. Sometimes we can feel like, oh, I should be going for this certain thing. And that can create a lot of tension with what we actually want. So one of the things that I was thinking about is like, I really love my partners. And in particular, like with X, we were living partners for a while. We lived together. We nested together. And when we went our separate ways in terms of a living situation, we remained partners and our relationship got better. But in my head, I started to think, oh, well, because I'm so in love with this person, I need to live with them. Like that is the societal expectation. And then I was thinking in the back of my head, oh, well, I'm a fucked up partner. I'm a fucked up person if I don't want to live with the person that I love or like whatever. And then I think I realized like, but what I have right now with my current living situation is so good where I'm not living with my partner. And then I was able to accept like, maybe I do just kind of want to have the quote unquote bachelor pad or whatever. Maybe I want to just live by myself or, or live with someone else who is not my partner and enjoy that sort of freedom. And that's okay. And being able to accept that that is something that I actually want. By society standards, it's a little taboo. Okay. Because most like very romantic partners, they end up moving in together. Yeah, it's the relationship escalator. Right. It's it's hard. To, I mean, even as polyamorous people, it's hard to avoid that social conditioning of the relationship escalator of like, you meet, and then if you like each other, you go on a date. And then if the date goes well, you go on another date. And then after a few dates, things start getting serious. So you start visiting each other places and then you move in together and then you get married. Exactly. <laughs> then you have kids and then you buy a house in the suburbs with a white picket fence. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so all of these pressures from society, and these are just some of the examples, all these pressures from society are coming on to us. And so that can make in an uncomfortable situation in terms of our inner desires versus the external desires and that the struggle between those can be a very kinky experience where you like go into self-acceptance that was my other example on a final note here is the most interesting thing i learned from the existential kink book kink existential kink book okay the most interesting thing i learned from this book is there there well i'm really just tripping over myself right now there is actually for a while i know i've been talking for a while the most interesting thing i learned from this book is that there is actually a type of meditation called orgasmic meditation. Okay. Where the idea is that a woman or someone with a clitoris sits naked with the clitoris exposed. Orgasmic so, meditation. Right, orgasmic meditation. The clitoris is exposed and there is someone called the stroker. Okay. And the stroker comes over and for 15 minutes strokes the person's clit. Okay. And they're not doing it to get the person off. They're doing it to just stroke the clit and the person the idea of the person who's receiving this is to experience all of the sensations so you know how like well as someone with a clitoris like some strokes feel better than others and i'm sure it's the same with the penis but i don't have one yeah some of them are painful 
Yeah. And some of them feel really good. And the idea is just to be totally grounded and centered in like whatever that stroke is. Okay. So that was the most interesting thing I learned from that book. Fascinating. Yes. And can you get it on Amazon or Scribd? I got it on Scribd. I'm sure okay. it's on Amazon as well. And it's very highly rated. Okay. So on that note. If you'd like to support us and hear us talk about how kink impacts your day-to-day life or your spirituality in kink or if you want to hear that episode about us talking about religious symbolism in scenes uh, you can donate at the bottom of the show notes and please feel free to share this podcast with your kinky priests priestess monks and fellow church or temple goers or your boss at work if you're that kind of relationship yes asterisk on that one yeah okay So this is G. This is M. Don't be afraid to love how you love. Love what you love. And love who you love. If you'd like to get in touch with either M or myself, you can tweet us at KNP Podcast. You can find us at knppodcast.tumblr.com. Or you can email us at kinky.nerdy.poly at gmail.com. You know, it would be it would be real nice if we were prepared podcasters. Prepared podcasters, Pied Pipers. That's our official nickname.
By the way, you know what's not on this show notes? What? G. <laughs> Our sign off. <laughs> and the call to action. And, and the call to action. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be it would be real nice if we were prepared podcasters. Prepared podcasters, Pied Pipers.